listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. How should a Christian live in this world? Is it the right course of action for a Christian to remove themselves from anything that could be determined to be enjoyable in the pursuits of things that this world enjoys? Is it appropriate for the Christian to enjoy a good meal? Should the marital home be a place of joy and pleasure? Some of these questions were very relevant to the early church in Paul's time. And in today's episode of Let the Bible Speak, we're going to consider the words of 1 Timothy chapter 4 as we contemplate Paul's instructions to Timothy regarding the Christians living in this world. I'm going to read to you the words of 1 Timothy 4 and we'll read together from the verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Well, let's pray together and ask for God's help as we consider his word afresh today. Eternal God, we come into your presence again in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of the word to your hearts, and we pray as we study it together now that you'd help us to understand the word, that it would speak to our hearts and into our lives, that we would seek to live our lives in conformity to your word, and not to the thoughts and intents of men. Give us grace to live out grace, and that we would know your good pleasure in all that we would say and do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One of the marks of false teaching is often that man-made rules are emphasised in the church. Man-made rules that govern what is considered to be truly spiritual living. The verses before us today deal with the issue of false teachers And in their false teaching, they were forbidding to marry and they were commanding that the people of God abstain from meats. This was a teaching that was emphasizing asceticism, a life of self-deprivation, self-denial in order to achieve a higher level of spirituality. Such thinking has not been uncommon in the history of the church. You think of the development of Asceticism within the Roman Catholic Church, high views regarding celibacy and fasting and self-deprivation, moved into the various orders, the monastic order and the, the convent structure of those who would give themselves, as they thought, to living for Jesus. What is the purpose of the Christian life? Well, the purpose of the Christian life is that we would know God and enjoy God. And there were those who took that particular thought and thought to themselves, well, if you want to know God better and have a better spiritual life, then you should live like this. 
You should not get married. You should engage yourself in self-deprivation. And so you will further your spiritual experience. That was the issue in Paul's day as he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The, the apostates were engaged in promoting devilish lies. And those lies involved forbidding marriage and the command to abstain from meats. I wonder, could it be that their mindset was such that they viewed the enjoyment of God's creation as a mark of carnality? Marriage and the mortal bed were viewed with suspicion by some. Paul has to state in 1 Corinthians 7 and in Hebrews chapter 13 that conjugal relations are in the will of God and that the mortal bed is, is honourable. The issue of meats was also clearly a issue in the New Testament church. Paul in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 deals in some detail regarding the various views there were within the church regarding the reception of meats. Much of that was because the giving of meats was often associated with the sacrifice to pagan idols in the Gentile world. Paul understands the conscience issue. In fact, he enforces the conscience issue, but he doesn't go as far as to command abstinence. He knows his Bible far too well to do that. Clearly, the apostates were adding to the word of God. There's always a delicate balance required when somebody comes to grasp the glories of God's grace. We understand that we're free. There is true Christian freedom for those who have come to know the grace of God. And yet in the preaching of grace and the preaching of Christian freedom, there has been certain extremes that must be avoided. Paul takes time in Romans chapter 6 to deal with the issue of the tendency towards licentiousness through an understanding of the grace of God. The thinking he addresses is that there were those who believed that their sins were forgiven. They knew the grace of God, therefore they could live as they pleased. And Paul makes the, the point very clearly that those who have come to know the grace of God, they've also come to die to sin and come to hate sin, uh, not to want to live after the flesh, but after the spirit. And so if we emphasize grace, there is the danger that we may tend towards a licentious view of living in this creation. Yet there is an opposite danger, and that is the legalism of man-made standards. Now, how you define legalism will it will vary in a particular context. Classically, legalism refers to those who believe there were certain practices that were required for someone to know peace with God and to be justified. And yet the term has been expanded in, in other ways to describe the use of man-made standards for the promotion of Christian growth. Not so much the legalism of justification, but the legalism that may tend to exist in the context of our sanctification in our living for God. And we can see the issue with ungodly Christians. We can see the challenge of licentiousness in the ungodly person who professes to know Christ. Yet we should also be vigilant to the mindset that claims to know a secret path to some higher spiritual plane or who claims to understand that there are things that we should do that are not taught in the word of God, but if we do them, then we will walk closer with the Lord. We must beware a view of Christianity that is morbid and morose and that allows for little or no enjoyment of God's creation. 
First Timothy 4, verse 4 says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. This was a, an issue that clearly was prevalent in some of the churches that Paul was ministering. He had to speak to the Colossian church. In Colossians chapter 2, he says this, Wherefore, if ye be dead from Christ, from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? And then he gives some of the examples of those ordinances. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men. And Paul describes such things as having a show of wisdom in will, worship and humility, neglecting of the body, and not in any honour to the satisfying of the flesh. And so this ascetic lifestyle was rising to some prominence in the New Testament church, that there were those who were advocating that an ascetic lifestyle was how the way to God was to be best enjoyed. So what, what is the correct approach of the Christian to the created world? How, how do we live for Christ in the context of those gifts that God has given to us? Well, first of all, I'd ask you to think about the matter that creation is itself a revelation of God's gracious goodness. One of the dangers of asceticism is that it views itself as wiser than God, perhaps even as more moral than God. Oh, the false teachers, they knew, oh, they knew above everybody else what was good for those who would listen to them. They thought they knew better than God. They are those who are speaking lies in hypocrisy and they are forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. And Paul makes the point, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So Paul is addressing those who have come to faith in Christ. They are those who believe and know the truth. And for those who believe and know the truth, they can gladly enter in to the enjoyment of those things that God has created that are to be received with thanksgiving. And the reference to creation, I believe, is clearly a throwback to Genesis chapter 1, where God made this world and it was very good. The issue of eating meat is itself given the seal of God's approval. After the destruction of the world in the Noahic flood, you have Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, which says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. There you have it. It's in black and white in our Bibles that God has given us these moving things to be meat for our benefit, for our nourishment and for our good. Now we understand that whenever the Lord gives instructions to his Old Testament people, the people of Israel in the wilderness and then into the land of the promised land, well, there were certain restrictions. There were animals that they were not to eat. There were those animals that were considered to be clean and unclean. The Lord was teaching the people regarding the importance of separation from the practices of the world around them. But as we move into the New Testament and we hear the language of Christ, we hear Christ speaking in Mark chapter 7 and the verse 18, and he says, and he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him? Because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, 
and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. And the Lord is making the point that those things that we eat, they do not defile our souls. They're dealt with in the physicality of our physiology. And then when you come to the book of Acts, you find Peter having that vision of the of the sheet coming down from heaven with the meats upon the sheet. And Peter is horrified and he says, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that called not thou common. And so meat and the eating of meat has the seal of God's approval. To command men to abstain from meats is to command something which God has not commanded. Rather, God has created this world, including the provision of meats, to be received with thanksgiving and, and to, to the benefit of our, of our physical bodies. The matter of marriage has also been given the seal of God's approval. Marriage is the institution of God as the solution to the one thing that was not good. It was not good for the man to be alone in the original creation. Marriage is a gift from God. It is to be enjoyed. It is not to be viewed as a necessary evil. And I say emphatically, it is not to be tampered with. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, marriage is honourable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Here we see that the sins of this world are destructive to marriage. There are those who are practising all manner of sexual immorality. And in the confusion of the sexual revolution, we see that increasing more and more in our day. And it is an attack upon God's institution of marriage as being between one man and one woman for life. Marriage is honourable. The bed is undefiled. It is a blessing to uh, enter into the uh, the privileged position of Christian marriage, that is a blessing that comes from God. And those in Paul's day who were forbidding marriage, well, they were entering into an ascetic view of the Christian life that was against the very will of God. Isn't it remarkable how much false teaching attacks the opening chapters of God's word? Please note the world is not intrinsically evil. Men are sinful and creation groans. But at the point of creation, God made this world good. And even after the fall, God still places the seal of his approval upon aspects of the created order that we are to enjoy. It is a dangerous thing whenever society seeks to tamper with the will of God. He, here we are reading of words that Paul is addressing to a church family, a, a church body. But the same dangers exist within society as there are those who seek to overturn the will of God for the good of mankind. I just encourage you as we pause at this time in this message, I encourage you, know the mind of God and seek to live your life according to the mind of God. It is God who made this world and he made it good and it is God who himself knows what is best for his creatures. And whenever the world says that God is wrong, they are making themselves wiser than the creator himself. And of course, that is a pathway to ruin and misery. And such should not come into any Christian church. And so as we consider how we live in the context of this created world, we remind ourselves again that creation is a revelation of God's gracious goodness to mankind.
Which then leads to the second issue, which is the Christian's reception of God's goodness. We have it stated for us very clearly in verse 3 and verse 4, that marriage and meats have been created by God, and they are to be received with thanksgiving. Then in verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. So the Christian is to receive the goodness of God with a thankful spirit and with a dependent spirit. We know the prayer the Lord taught the disciples, give us this day our daily bread. Paul uses the word received twice in these verses. We receive God's goodness as a gift. As those who have broken God's law and rebelled against God, we do not deserve any gifts from God, even the simple matter of our daily bread. And so our daily bread is a gift that comes from God. And thus the Christian response to God's goodness is to receive their daily bread with gratitude and with a, a thankful heart. There's an understanding in those who believe and know the truth. There is an understanding of their own sinfulness. They understand that they only know the will of God because of the grace of God. They understand that their sins are forgiven only because of the cross of Christ. And they understand that every good gift comes from above. Everything comes from the Lord and his hand. And thus, in a spirit of dependence, they receive these good things with thanksgiving. I wonder, are we negligent in living our lives with a thankful spirit? Tragically, we live in times of tremendous material prosperity. Even in poverty, there is so many material possessions that many in the Church of Christ have. Now, I understand there are some in this society and they're living in, in true biblical poverty. But within the context of the Christian church, most of the believers are living with a sense of opulence and with great prosperity. And so there's a tendency to, to take for granted their daily bread and these provisions. But we are to be careful that as we live in this world that we receive what we receive with thanksgiving, with a joyful spirit. And in so doing, we acknowledge that in, in praying to God and giving thanks for the things that God has given to us. We think of the practice of the Lord Jesus as he breaks the loaves for the multitude. In John chapter 6, he took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And even when it came to the time of the Passover, which came into the being of the Lord's Supper, Matthew chapter 26 and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. We will only properly live in this world when we are truly thankful for all that God has given us. There is at times a grumbling and complaining spirit amongst the Lord's people. There's a discontented heart. There's a desire for more of this world's goods. And as we nourish that discontented spirit, so we are forgetful of all the good things that God has given us. This is a time for the people of God to repent of such materialistic thinking. It's time for us to realize that our very daily bread is a gift from God and we fall upon our faces and we say, Lord, forgive us our sins for Christ's sake. 
So, as we live in this world, we are to remember that creation is a revelation of God's gracious goodness. We are to remind ourselves again that the Christian must receive God's goodness with a thankful spirit. But as we close, there are some things that would really govern our conduct. How, how is our conduct governed by these principles? In the area of biblical ethics is the area of how the child of God lives in this world. That's what we're talking about today. Those who believe and know the truth, those who are saved by grace. Well, what is a conduct that is acceptable for the Christian with regards to marriage and meats and other things? Well, Paul says that the good gifts of creation they are sanctified by the word of God and prayer. The ordinary things of life, as we might term them, can be sanctified. They can be set apart as holy, set apart for God's use, set apart for our well-being in the spiritual realm. There should be nothing in our lives lived outside the realm of holiness. Even as we live in this world, we should live physically with an eye to the spiritual we should take our meats and live in our marriages with an eye to what it means for the benefit of our souls and for the glory of God. This matter of being set apart is involved in this word sanctified, set apart for God's use. Even the ordinary matters of marriage and meat. But how are they sanctified? How do these words determine what constitutes holy conduct? This is so relevant in every area of our lives. So often young people ask the questions, what music should I listen to? What entertainment should I watch? How should I use my leisure time? How do I enter into the enjoyment of food? And what about life and marriage and family? Well, there are two very simple principles that come out of this text. Our living must be lived in obedience to the word of God. It is sanctified by the word of of God. Whatever we choose to do in our lives, we should have the confidence that God says it is good. And thus, of course, we understand that holy things have the seal of God's approval. The Lord is pleased with our praise and with our proclamation of Christ. And when we're considering a course of action in the spiritual realm, we look to see does that action have the sanction of the Word of God? And if, of course, an action is contrary to the word of God, then it cannot be holy, it cannot be sanctified. And such a thinking must also govern how we live in the physical choices we make. What we eat, how much we eat, who we marry, when we marry, what we do in the context of our marriage. Those ordinary things, they ought to have the seal of God's approval. And so, when we come to live in a fallen world, it reminds us again that the word of God must be our only rule of faith and practice. So we must be careful that we do not add to God's word, but we must also be careful that we don't sub subtract from God's word. And so examine your life in the light of the word of God, whatever the practice may be. It may be your employment, it may be your family life, it may be your recreational pursuits. If they do not have the sanction of God's approval, then we must put them aside. Life must be lived in obedience to the word of God. And we praise the name of God that his word gives approval to the enjoyment of things that are offered to us in God's good creation. 
And so our conduct must be lived in obedience to the word of God. And we must also be able to pray for the blessing of God upon the action. It is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Can we thank God for what we're about to eat? Can we thank God for what we're about to drink? Can we pray for his blessing over the matter? Can we ask for his help as we engage in that particular practice and exercise? We need both these things. We must be careful. If we are obedient to the word of God, then we can pray for God's blessing. But if we are not living in obedience to the word of God, then we cannot pray for God's blessing. And so when you keep these things together, you realize that we are praying for the blessing of God upon the actions that are according to the word of God. So you consider various things that you may do in your Christian life. Can you uh, ask the blessing of God upon your gluttony? Can you ask the blessing of God upon your lack of self-control? Can you ask the blessing of God upon your binge-watching of a particular Netflix series that may be in complete violation to the Word of God? Can you ask God's blessing uh, upon your marriage when your marriage is lived in such a way that you do not love your wife and nourish and cherish her? Can you ask the blessing of God upon a relationship that is outside marriage? How can it be possible for two Christians to engage in a relationship that is intimate and that is not found in the context of marriage? How can it be possible for God's blessing to rest upon a man and a man engaging in some so-called same-sex marriage? You see how the application of these principles flows out in our world today? Oh yes, there were those in Paul's day and they, they asserted asceticism, forbidding to marriage and commanding to abstain from meats. And as Paul deals with the matter of that false ascetic mindset, he also encourages the people of God to properly engage in this creation, to enjoy this creation. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. And I pray that if you're a child of God, you would know the wisdom of God as you seek to live for the Lord in this world that is marked by sin, and yet in this world that is full of so many of the good things that God has graciously given to us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.